Baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death trap. It's a suicide trap. We gotta get out while we're young. Cause tramps like us, baby, we were born to run. Some of y'all know who that is, Bruce Springsteen. If I were cooler, I would have had Tyler the Creator, someone like that. That's who I have. I quote that because if you were gonna make a Spotify playlist to go along with second century heresies, this song should be on there. Now, not because Bruce Springsteen is a heretic, and not because that song in and of itself is a bad song, but thematically it fits nicely on what was easily one of the earliest uh, and most significant distortions of the Christian faith. Now, here's how I break down that idea in the song. The idea that the world is a death trap, that the material world, the world of stuff, is rotten and evil, it needs to be rejected and escaped. Likewise, the early second century heretical view held that the world is a suicide rap. So we need to get out. Salvation, in fact, was seen by these folks as becoming pure spirit and leaving behind the body and the world. That salvation from God ultimately, at least according to this view, was escaping the world. Apologies to Springsteen. I misread him. I don't want to hear from his people. But I mention this because we are looking today at the ascension from the Apostles' Creed and from Scripture. Now, back in May was Ascension Sunday. I don't know if y'all celebrated that or not. But the ascension as an event is Christ's departure 40 days after his resurrection, where he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, in the second century, and really uh, in, in centuries on, there were some takes on Jesus' ascension, his going up, that claimed that really what was going on was that at the end of the day, Jesus was running. He was getting out. He was distancing himself from the world and retreating to a pure world of spirit and light where there was no encumbrances like this funky body that we have, no physical stuff that suffers and rots and decays. He's going to a place of spirit, which is good, and getting away from material stuff like the body, which is bad. Now those same folks who taught that, those same teachers, went on to frame the authentic Christian life as the same kind of experience. In other words, what we are aiming for in the Christian life, according to these uh, errant teachers is we want to get away from the world. We want separation. And we ultimately want to become free from the material world, free from our bodies, removed from all of this stuff which is bad. And we want to go into a realm of pure light, pure spirit, and, and all of that. Now, this is not just a history lesson. But it's in fact pertinent for us today because in some key ways we are tempted to what these teachers were talking about in our own lives today as Christians. And in fact, the ascension of Jesus is good news for us as we think about uh, being redirected toward a more holistic view of the Christian life. And so I just have two points. She will be glad so you won't uh, cook, get cooked in here. Uh, and the first point is this. Very simple. The ascension was not Jesus escaping or separating himself from the world. 
See, the faith of the ancient church, the faith of the church today, is not about spiritual escape from the world, but rather is about redemption and the transfiguration of human life in its fullness, including in the body, in the world. And so the whole movement of God, which gives shape to the Apostles' Creed, by the way, and more importantly, gives shape to Scripture, is that God is not avoiding us or shunning the world or the people in it. In fact, it's the very opposite. God moves towards us to know us, to save us, and to transform us from within all the way out. You see, from God revealing himself to Israel and being present with them in the miracles, the tabernacle and the temple, to the final revelation of himself in Jesus Christ, God does not reject the world he created, but intends instead good for it, forgiveness for it, final renewal for it. And this is especially shown in Jesus Christ. So not everyone in the second century was off the rails on this. There was one, at least one guy, at least one guy in the quote named Irenaeus, and he said this, he's a second century uh, theologian, the Son of God did not reject human nature or exalt himself above it, but instead united himself with our nature in order to unite us, you and I, to God. So when the New Testament writers speak of the ascension, it's talked about several times in the New Testament. It's mentioned in places like our passage in Ephesians. Peter mentions it in 1 Peter. Uh, Colossians 1 mentions it. It's obviously mentioned in the Gospels as well. They are not describing Jesus either in his escape or just as importantly his absence, okay? But in his sovereign presence through creation. He has not gone away, but he has instead become more fully present. His ascent to the right hand of the Father is his public enthronement over all worldly power, as we read about and or actually heard read in Psalm 110. And we'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute. But because he has ascended, this is what's important for us, especially as we pray. Because he has ascended, his life now is universally available. His loving authority extends over the whole of creation and is especially present for us whenever believers gather together like we're doing here this evening. You see, the ascension is not meant to make us wonder like he's some you know, spiritual wall, though. Where is he? But rather, it draws out from us questions like we see in Psalm 139. Where can I go from his spirit? Where can I flee from his presence? And that not in a creepy way, but in a blessed way. You see, through our union with Christ, we share in his ascension. When Jesus ascends to the Father, he takes, listen to this, he takes our humanity with him. Because Jesus ascended, we are also ascended through the Spirit to the Son and through the Son to the Father. You see, through Jesus, our nature has taken up residence with God. Think about that. We have residence with God right now. Mysteriously, we are with now, with God now, because of our union with Christ. Well, so what? As we talked about, whenever I, I actually talked about this a few months ago, I don't expect that you remember it, but it did talk about creation. When we talked about God as creator, we talked about that the world was created good by a good God, and He continues to love it. So much so 
that He gave His Son for it and will not leave it and will not forsake it. In fact, He has conquered all of the obstacles to union with it. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered the evil one, the devil, in the resurrection in order to sanctify us and ultimately to sanctify the world. And mysteriously, that is our task too, or at least we share in that work. Hear me on this. Anytime that you and I have a functional, operational life where we are religious or spiritual, newsflash, those are kind of the same thing, but we are spiritual or religious in certain areas of our life, but carnal or worldly or secular, in other words, in other words, maybe we're spiritual at Bible study, but not at work. What happens when we do that is that we have defaulted into this escapist view of reality that the ascension of Jesus explicitly rejects. You see, we may not go around saying, oh, stuff is bad, the world is bad. But when we refuse or when we fail to bring our Christian commitments to the whole of our life, we're kind of being dualist. We're being escapist. And that's not the life that God has intended for us. And the ascension doesn't permit that. So I want to ask you, what does that look like for you? I'll give you an example. Not one of you, but actually a friend of mine who uh, we, we grew up together. We went to church together from the time we were in sixth grade on. And after college, he became a Christian. And I want to just say that this was a real conversion because you don't know him. It was kind of a surprising conversion. You know, you've known those people. Maybe you are one of those people. Of course, we're all those people. But then there's really those people that are like, wow, that person came to the Lord. And that was the case with my friend. It was a good get for Jesus. Very surprising. But what happened with him early on in his Christian life is that he would... Um, he lived in one place in Texas, and then he, about half the time he would go back to our hometowns on the weekend. And whenever he was in our hometown on the weekends, he was going there to hunt and to see friends and do fun stuff like that. But while he went back to our hometown, he'd get a little bit wild, kind of go back to the way that he had been before. He would be involved in drinking a little bit too much, gambling a little bit too much, getting kind of rowdy. Uh, so much so that it stuck out to his friends who he was hunting with, and they were not necessarily Christians. And they finally said something to him and said, bro, it seems like there's two of you. There's the guy who goes back to Dallas, and that one's good, goes to church and talks about all that stuff on Facebook. And then when you come here, it's you're partying like it's 1999. Boom, that landed on him heavy. He realized he was living this split reality, and I wonder, how does it land for you? Are there areas of your life that maybe seem untouched, uncared for by Christ? Maybe, honestly, it, it's intentional, maybe on purpose. Uh, you know, there's ways that you're going to act at church, ways that you're going to act at work. Or church and work, yeah. But the ascension reminds us that Christ is Lord over all. Lord over all of our life, our whole life. And here's how that matters, and this gets to the second point. The second point is this. The ascension is Jesus receiving 
all power over the world. All power over not just the world, but the cosmos. So when the creed says that Jesus ascended and sits at the right hand of God, it's borrowing scriptural language to say something that is pretty stunning. It takes an act of faith to believe, but is miraculous. It's saying that in his resurrection, Jesus wasn't just overcoming the laws of biology and physics, right? He didn't just do a, he didn't just reverse death, but that something even more remarkable happened. And it is finished off by his ascent, by his ascension, and it's this that Jesus is made king over all. Now I'm not sure why. So many Americans are fascinated by the English royalty. Feels like, I think I'm accurate in saying that we had a whole revolution that was saying no thanks. That's not our jam. Be that as it may, though, whenever there's something happening with the royal family, and it's been like this for a long time, people are just glued to their TVs. I can remember when I was a little kid, I was made to watch Charles and Diana get married. And recently, of course, on TV, we were able to watch the same Charles be crowned as the King of England. If you did watch that or saw clips there, there was a ceremony where he was literally affirmed by God's representative and then given a crown and title and right to rule. But y'all, that, what happened for the King of England, is a very pale of imitation of what happened at the ascension with Jesus. You see, there's a reason that the most quoted scripture from the Hebrew Bible in the New Testament is Psalm 110, the psalm that we prayed together earlier. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of all, not just of England, not just of a few territories, but all things and all at his ascension, Jesus is crowned with the rights, the authority, the seal of Lord as Lord over all of creation. At his resurrection, he was justified. He was validated as righteous and sufficient to claim all things that are the Father's, especially his people, especially you and I. Then at his ascension, he goes to the right hand of the Father, and that's a biblical image for power and authority of God, and he receives it. Listen to this passage again. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, Fills all in all. It's another way of saying this that Jesus is not a tribal God. Jesus is not a regional God. He's not a God who is simply greater than the Roman Emperor. He is not a God who just is here to make America great, but He is God over all and for all, including you and including your whole. You see, after blowing a hole through the back of the wall of death, stomping on the head of the devil, and muting the eternal significance of sin, he is crowned king. Now hold on to this, because what does he do? He is made king, and then he takes the keys to the whole thing, and he does what? He hands the keys to the church. 
his people, you and I. And he says, I am with you. I am available. Now go and do like I did with this same power. Jesus is Lord and King and his power and reign and influence is extended through his people. But here's the catch. His power and reign goes through us. And it looks like what he did when he was on earth. Now, why is that a catch? Because Jesus is not like other rulers. He is not like the emperor of Rome who establishes peace at the end of the sword. His peace comes because instead he himself was pierced. And now those who have received his peace through forgiveness will also then be peacemakers. And be blessed by God, affirmed by God because of it. The reign of Jesus is not extended by Christians through threats of violence or coercion. Whether it's violence of a riot or lying words that misrepresent and scorn others. It comes through the harder, braver way of loving your enemies. Praying for those who persecute you. Living out the meekness of Christ because we have received the inheritance of the Father, which is the whole earth. See, the kingdom of Christ is not extended through resentment or the greedy privileging of our rights over others, but because Christ already reigns in his ascension and promises that all things, things like forgiveness, things like resurrection, things like peace, are already ours. We love others and seek their blessing. In the third Batman movie that was made by Christopher Nolan, there's a line in there that interprets the action, at least I think, interprets the action of the movie for multiple characters. And one character says this, either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Now for me, I've been a minister for gracious, almost 25 years. Uh, but the last 10 years for me has been a little bit weird in, in the evangelical and reformed church areas and circles in which I abide, especially as it relates to uh, someone I looked up to, didn't know very well, but looked up to uh, a man named Tim Keller. Some of you have heard him. Uh, heard of him, read his books, that kind of thing. He actually came here ages ago, spoke at Borders whenever Borders existed. Um, now, the last 10 years, Tim was not necessarily seen as a villain, but there was sharp, frequent criticism of him that I think was undue. And it was a particular criticism that said that his approach to commending Christianity of being non-coercive of being patient, of seeing the dignity of others that you disagreed with, with being winsome and reaching folks for Christ, ultimately was a compromise. Uh, one pastor wrote this. He said, that approach had its, had its time, but now that the culture wars are being lost and we no longer live in a world that is neutral to Christianity, we need to be more aggressive, more masculine, and assertive in bringing God's truth to bear. Honestly, I understand the angst 
coming from those people. I see what they see. I feel what they feel, at least on some of the cultural things. But I still think it is better and braver and holier to follow the way of Jesus rather than the way of Caesar. Uh, effective as, and gratifying as it might be to be more verbally, even physically, aggressive. And since I have the mic, I just want to say that honestly that Viking approach that was articulated feels more comfortable, comfortable for me anyway, personally. And I'm pretty sure that I can even baptize that way of living and being in the world as doing it for the Lord. I also want to say I'm not a fanboy of Keller. There are things to critique, and he would have been the first one to invite that. But he wasn't just a Christian in what he said, though undeniably he was. But he was a Christian in how he did it. And frankly, that is the harder thing. And that is where the ascension of Christ, the ethics and practice of living out the Beatitudes and all of Christ's teaching, an example, make a difference. Having Christian convictions carried by Christian actions and behavior. Honestly, it's a low bar, but a real bar to simply be kind to others. Others you disagree with, others who don't believe what you do. That's not wokeness. That's Romans chapter 4. Romans 4 says that it is the kindness of God, not forcefulness or resentment, that leads to repentance. And repentance, the turning of folks to Christ or back to Christ, is evidence of Jesus' reign. Now, I started with Bruce. I'm going to end with Isaac. Isaac Watts. Because the church does have a mixtape for truth and beauty and hope, and it's called hymns. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Blessings abound wherever he reigns. The prisoners leap to lose their chains. The weary find eternal rest. And all who suffer want are blessed. Let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help transform our hearts. Read the internal dialogue of our prayers, the subtext of our prayers, our needs, our, our longings. And may they rest ultimately in you. Help us to have courage be faithful and patient and gentle and kind. These are now ours by nature, yet sometimes they need to be excavated. And so we do pray for that Holy Spirit work to do that excavation. And these aren't vain and empty prayers because we have an ascended Jesus who has brought our nature with Him into the presence of the Father. And you are not stingy. So, hear us, we pray, that we might be faithful witnesses in this world. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.